Welcome to the Relief Teachers Podcast, brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally, and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar with my colleagues and former principals, Billy Green and Terry Toomey. In this webinar, we covered everything to do with key selection criteria. So whether you're at the starting point of the journey or whether you are at the point you need to revise your key selection criteria, this is the podcast for you. I'll hand over to myself. Billy, it's one of the most daunting aspects and most uh, one of the things that we get asked most about a trade wind is help with key selection criteria. First off, maybe we can just talk about why is that? Why do you think of all of the um, components of the application process? Why is the key selection criteria, why do teachers find it the most challenging? Well, there's probably a number of reasons, not the least of them being that um, it's mandatory when you are applying for jobs in Victorian government schools. And it's unusual uh, if you look at, I suppose, the broader education environment worldwide, and certainly in private um, schools here in uh, Victoria, they don't have a similar system. So if you're applying for a a job through the Catholic Education Office, and you would know more about applying for those jobs than um, Terry and I, Ian, they don't have uh, that same system. Uh, Private schools don't have that same system. It's much personalised, I suppose. um, So the schools can choose the way that they want to do it themselves. That's the first thing. So it's, in other words, it's it's mandatory. It's there. Uh, it's actually a legal requirement that we can't employ um, any teachers who don't uh, go through the process. And I think the other thing about it is that it is an unusual process in the sense that you are not writing an essay, but it seems like you are. And I think also because the questions... No, they've improved them somewhat, but they not, still um, remain somewhat obtuse. And the very first time you read through them, it's like, it's a bit of a, it's difficult to get your head around what they're trying to achieve. And I guess that's what we're trying to achieve today for people who are interested in applying for jobs is to try to break that key selection criteria down into manageable pieces because it is confronting. So I guess it's the the unusual nature, um, the fact that it's mandatory and that also there, it's a um, it's a great example of uh, the use of not common, uh, not 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 easy language to get your head around. Yeah, look, and there's a lot riding on it, Billy, uh, too, isn't there? Like it's yeah. a competitive process, and uh, as you and I would be well aware, not everybody writes well. And um, you know, with some of these jobs, you know that probably not going to interview more than five people, and there might be fifty or sixty who uh, apply. So there. I think uh, for CRTs and for teachers, it's, it's an important investment um, being able to produce an application that is of the standard that can get you an interview. Yeah, the, the thing about it, Ian, too, is, um, and we will bang on today about individualising your applications because a generic ones aren't very successful and they're easy to pick up. But the thing about it is you if you invest enough time to write um, a good generic or good skeletal sort of out, um, you know, document that stays with you. Well, it could stay with you for, for dec- a decade or longer, really. Um, once you've got the structure right, um, you, you don't have to, you don't have to start from scratch every time. So it's, you more or less invent your own template if you like. Uh, and then you can fiddle around with that and make it uh, specific for each of the schools that you apply. 
But the other thing about it, I think, and I know this sounds very uh, lofty and I would have been the first person in the staff room to roll my eyes about this, but it's actually a good professional development activity because it does make you reflect on your own practice, um, what you do or you don't know about certain areas of teaching and whether you have certain demonstrable uh, experiences in those areas. So it's not a bad thing to spend the time doing, but the other key word there is time. You, you, you will not whip up a key selection criteria uh, document. So you have to answer five as a minimum. Uh, you won't whip one up on a Friday night um, and send it off on Saturday morning. It's, that's not going to happen. So um, I wouldn't even, if, you, if you've left it that late, don't even bother. You're just wasting your time uh, and you'll only become frustrated. So it, time is important. Um, and I, I would be, if I was in a position at the moment and you hadn't written a word, I'd probably listen to this and then I'd give myself a term. Uh, to you know because there's a lot of CRT work around at the moment give yourself a term to do all the stuff so that when they start advertising jobs in term three or whatever you're ready to go but don't think I'll jump on recruitment online today and I'll whip up the old key selection criteria over the weekend uh, because you won't <laughs> one of the issues is is that if I'm if I haven't written a word of key selection criteria but almost that's a big challenge ahead of me, but almost it's a, a bigger challenge in some respects to have already written key selection criteria, addressed it, not been successful. How do I go about editing and refreshing uh, that key select collection, key selection criteria, Terry? Yeah, we'll get some feedback on it, I reckon, Ian, find out where the gaps are. Is it because that you haven't read the key curriculum sort of documents? Is it because your evidence was non-existent or sort of lightweight that you were thin on being able to talk about high impact teaching strategies? Um, you couldn't convince me that you could engage or, or manage students. Your knowledge of assessment was questionable. There could be a whole range of things. You simply may not write well. Um, and so I think if you've had a go and you've put it in a couple of times and you're not getting an interview, it may well be that it's very difficult to achieve feedback, quality feedback from the school, other than you didn't meet the criteria. So Billy and I exist um, to provide that sort of support and feedback. So provided you've had a fair income go at it, um, then we're always happy to take a look at your application and sort of steer you in the right direction. But even so, you know, make sure you have read the key curriculum documents uh, that are out there. Don't try and write an application, you know, um, without doing that. And, uh, you know, also I hate ones that are just exclusively dot points, Billy. That's always enough to put me off interviewing people. So make yeah. sure you're aware of the structure that is um, expected and required. Make sure that, um, you know, it's not, you're not writing, you know, eight lines on each criteria and make sure you're not writing three pages on each criteria. We'll talk a bit more about that in a little while, but I think, um, yeah, get some feedback. You need to come at things a different way if it's not successful. So I would definitely be going and looking at someone you know who is successful. It's not uncommon, and Terry might um, help us out on this one. So, for example, if you were putting in principal applications, it wouldn't be unusual, Terry, for someone to say, uh, have a look at the one that I popped in. You know, a colleague might say, have a look at this. So you do a bit of compare and contrast. 
I would definitely be seeking the help of someone like Terry or myself or um, someone that you, a, a trusted colleague, if you have one that uh, could run their eye over it and just say, oh, uh, if I was reading this, I, I don't like that, I don't like this. But a really interesting way to come at it as well is key selection criteria is not just restricted to uh, Victorian education department jobs. The whole Victorian um, public service has key selection criteria as part of the process. So if you Google key selection criteria and look at it from a different perspective. So one I've looked at uh, in the recently, just cause I just do a little bit of research, believe it or not, um, the CFA, right? If you're gonna apply for a job there, you actually have to meet their key selection criteria. And I'll just read a couple of their tips. So they've got a really good tip page on how to answer key selection criteria. And I guess that theirs is good because they're saying there's a lot of people who come from outside the CFA environment. So in other words, outside the Victorian public service environment that don't know a lot about key selection criteria. They've not had to do that in private industry. So these are some of their tips, all right? So it's really, really important. Read and reread the advertisement and the key selection criteria. Um, highlight the key words in the key selection criteria. Uh, list of examples of how you meet that key selection criteria. Um, review your list and summarize in 60 to 120 words. They then have a, um, when you're talking about examples, situation, when and where you did something, what did you do and how you did it and what was the outcome. So they're just, interesting tips from the CFA, which I wouldn't have ever imagined I'd be jumping on their website. But you've, if you're not successful, you've got to go back and try to work out where you're falling down. And that means look at it through different eyes through that CFA example, but there are there will be other Victorian public service examples on the web. Get some a colleague to have a look at it or ask Terry and I or someone else that you know to have a look at it. Because you can't keep putting in the same one if you're not getting uh, an interview. If you get to interview and you don't get the job, that's fine. You can work on interview, but you've got to get yourself to interview first. And the only way you can do that is through your key selection criteria. Yeah, I think that they're good points, Billy. I, I, I like those little tips there. And also Ian and I are feeling a lot better knowing that um, you're looking at the CFA uh, website too. We'll sleep better. Um, but I think, look, it's challenging. Doing this is really challenging. There's an art to it. You and I have probably been doing this um, for as long as we've been involved in education. It's something that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. But if you simply put yourself on the panel for a minute, rather than being the applicant and ask yourself, yeah. well, what might people be looking for? Well, they want, they want to be convinced that you know what you're talking about. They want to be convinced that you're worth talking to at an interview. Um, that you can address the criteria in some sort of meaningful way and you can present some relevant evidence based on your experience. The key point there is uh, Terry's viewpoint of looking at it from, if you were going to employ somebody, who would you want? And what are the things you'd want them to know about? And when you start to look at the criteria in that light, you actually understand what they're about. So we, we're going to moment, we're going to break down each of the five criteria, but they are really only about, uh, even though they're written in a, as I say, somewhat obtuse sort of manner, they are only really about what teaching's about. So, and they're the only things they're gonna ever ask you questions about as well when you get to interview. So um, as, funnily, as, as complicated as they may be and um, as frustrating as the process can be, it is only really about teaching and it's a method that they use to try to sort out 
um, the applicants so they actually get the best people for their school. We've got a couple of questions as well, which I think we'll deal with uh, a little later as we go through the key selection criteria. But the first one I think we can deal with now, which is just around, you know, do you need to tailor your CV or uh, key selection criteria for each different school uh, that you apply to? Uh, the answer is, is yes, but you don't have to rewrite the whole key selection criteria. But it's worth acknowledging in some of the criteria that, you have to acknowledge what the school wants and what they're looking for and uh, speak to that. Is that absolutely. a fair summary? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you an example. So if the school for, uh, is exam, uh, and you may have a little bit of uh, demonstrated examples of this around, say the inquiry method in a primary setting, and you decide to apply for that school, and that's a major focus for that school, when you are citing your examples, I would be citing examples from that inquiry method. If, on the other hand, the school didn't nominate that and yeah. they had a STEM focus, for example, and you had some uh, examples of where you have demonstrated practice in the science, technology, engineering, maths, then I would be using those examples. So you don't have to rewrite the entire application. You can drag your experience uh, over and your examples uh, can match what the school's looking for and, this, and the, um, their priorities, then you don't have to rewrite the whole thing, but you can just drop them in as your dot point examples of how you've demonstrated a certain ability, then that will definitely hold you in good stead. And a cleverly worded cover, covering letter, I think, Billy, too, is uh, really helpful where you can demonstrate that... Um, you're a good fit for that specific school because you and I would have read, you know, thousands of covering letters. And unfortunately, uh, some have got the principal's name incorrect, spelled incorrect. They've even got the school incorrect. But I actually advise people that I work with at Trade Window applying for positions to put a, quite a bit of time into that covering letter because I think it's a, it's a free kick for you. And as a principal, it's the first thing I used to read. And if I didn't read your covering letter, I probably already made my mind up before I, if I didn't, you know, like your covering letter, I, I um, yeah, I'd already marked your cards before I'd probably, you know, I'd read the application. If you would like to find more out about how to write your cover letter or your CV, please do listen to a previous episode on the Relief Teachers podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we do uh, a good couple of hours on uh, CV writing and cover letters accumulatively. Can uh, I but, just pick up that yeah. point then? Because I think people also get confused and we always get questions. So I'm going to preempt a question here. People often ask us to rate or to weight even the various aspects of the application. Now, clearly, by law, the key selection criteria is the most important. So in other words, if you don't answer the five key selection and perhaps some school might throw in a sixth one, if they're not answered, then you, you, you can't simply can't, won't be interviewed, you can't get the job. However, I would wait, and it'd be interesting to get Terry's opinion on this, I would wait uh, next, most important is the cover letter. So there, a lot of people spend a stack of time on their CV, you know, what they did, when and where. And, you know, they're worried about referees and stuff. And look, I'd probably rate the CV as last. Uh, I'd probably, you know, if you get to the point where I'm looking at your referees, I'd probably think, yeah, if, you, if your current principal's referring you or um, you think, well, that, that 
weighs pretty heavily or if it's um you know if you you don't have the opportunity to teach much but in you you know say you crt but one of the schools where you've worked a bit a long time you get some good referees there that's good but they a lot of people spend a lot of time on things like cvs and referees and all that your covering letter and your key selection criteria are by far the most important. Terry, that's my opinion. Oh, yeah, me? definitely. CV uh, last, Billy, for, for me, I'll flick through it. Um, but that's about all. But I think that covering letter, um, you can incorporate material around your broad life experience, um, things that you might be able to contribute to the co-curricular program, any interesting work that um, you, know, you might have done, volunteer work, that sort of thing. Because um, you know, when I'm going to make an appointment, Billy, uh, you're going to represent me. Um, therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to, you know, uh, get the best possible person I can in anything that you've done um, that's a little bit different, might interest me because it might give me an indication of the sort of relationship you'll build with these kids and um, how you'll fit in to our school community. Yeah. So that's, they're really important. And so the key selection criteria are mandatory and they're crucial. But a covering letter is up there with the um, with your application. As I said, don't worry too much about your CV because, um, I, in fact, I, I don't know if I've ever given anyone a job on the basis of the CV. To be honest, um, I would rate that after the referees, and you know, it's uh, it's interesting in a way if you're looking for a bit of confirmation. But it won't. It's certainly not the high. I know. I know in a lot of our private industry jobs, the CVs them. That's all. Sometimes they ask for. So it does have this um, carryover importance, if you like, but in the Victorian education system, uh, it doesn't rate as highly as key selection criteria and the cover letter. Okay, so if, if I'm a relief teacher of tuning in today, listening to this, and I either have a key selection criteria addressed on my computer ready for editing, or I haven't written a word, of my key selection criteria. What, where are the resources that are going to help me? What should I be looking at? Because if I type key selection criteria into Google, it gives me a lot of results. Uh, what should I be focusing in on uh, to help me get a job in the Victorian education system? All right, I'll go first, and then Terry can give his opinion. My, I would first of all, look at the five mandatory ones. Don't worry about the sixth one if some school pops one in, we'll worry about that later. And I would try to break them down to their absolute core. And from that core, you can then go and do the research. So the first one is really about, um, in a lot of ways, it's about curriculum and uh, approach to learning. The second one, in a lot of ways, is about uh, high impact, this off the top of my head, I hope I'm getting this right, high impact teaching strategies and I guess work around professional learning communities. The third one is definitely about assessment. The fourth one is about communication and that involves communicating with students. So feedback as well, um, communicating your high impact teaching strategies with the staff, that's professional learning communities and with parents, of course, in terms of reporting and the broader community. And the bottom one is about um, uh, school culture and values. Now, all of those, if you look at those whole five, they all have very specific uh, knowledge around them. And that knowledge is almost all available on the Victorian Education website. So you'll be looking at things like, uh, and also the um, Australian Teaching Standards website. So you're looking at the nine principles, you're looking at high impact teaching strategies, you're looking at uh, VCAA curriculum and how this curriculum is structured. There are documents there on assessment and reporting. 
There's even a values, I forget the name of it now, Ian or Terry, you might know, but there's actually a Victorian values yep. um, uh, document as well. And there's plenty of information on professional learning communities and working as a team. So I would absolutely break them down to their core bits. Then the other thing I would do is jump onto the Tradewind website. I'm not being silly here, but uh, Ian's put together a fantastic Sway document. Uh, and that document uh, outlines step-by-step where you would go from go to woe in terms of if you've never written, if you've just arrived in Victoria, you know nothing about it, that document will guide you through all the uh, resources that you need to have a look at. And it's only then that I think you can start to have a, uh, to write. Well, all of those links, Billy, that you've um, just mentioned there are in that Sway document. I've just put the link in the webinar chat if you're watching this live, and I'll put it in the show notes if you're listening to this on the podcast. Um, but that is the starting point. There is, it's very, very well resourced, but and there's a lot of things that I think one of the critical things to avail yourself with is language, isn't it, Terry? Absolutely. And uh, teaching and learning has developed its own language very much over, over the last 10 years. And that's where those documents, I think, are in, uh, absolutely key. And, you know, they're very accessible, but they are written in the language that we use now when we talk about teaching and learning. And there's an expectation when you write the application that that's going to be the language that you use. Um, and you need to show an awareness and a familiarity, I think, with the key concepts. Um, and I, I think, you know, the first one, you know, Billy ticked off on the teaching and learning, the hits, the assessment, um, communication skills. Can I just say something about the next one, that the DET values one? Um, I think there are seven key values there. I wouldn't be afraid to reference those at the beginning of that particular criteria, because at least I think it shows an awareness and they're specifically mentioned um, as part of that criteria. Um, but, but I think if you're across, um, you know, the, the key educational theory there, and you, then you are in the position at least where you can make a start. And um, then I think, to my mind, the rest of the application um, is buttressed by the evidence and the experience that you are able to produce to demonstrate that you actually meet the criteria. So you've got a, a very clear understanding of what is meant by the criteria, but you've also uh, got to be able to demonstrate through your evidence that you've actually met it. It's clear that we need to uh, break down each key selection criteria to its essence. Then we need to research, get in our mind, uh, the language that we need to be using how do we actually structure when we start to write the key selection criteria? What should we be starting with and, and how do we actually structure? How long should it be? Well, first of all, we'll do with the how long. Try to keep them to uh, one A4 page. So that's long enough. Uh, you, again, put yourself in the position of the person reading it. Um, you often read them at night, schools aren't given extra time off. So the, the person who's reading it, the principal, um, anyone that's on the selection panel, they know their school really well. They've had a day of teaching in the classroom. As we all know, that's hard enough as it is. You go home on a Thursday night with a swag of uh, applications and you know that by Monday morning, you've got to come back with your recommendations. So 
they don't want to be plowing through 10, 12, 15 pages of an application. You should be able to address each of the criteria by one page. That's the first thing. Before I talk about the introduction and your initial response, also, I think Terry and I are big fans of dot point examples. Okay, you don't need to give really long, protracted stories about how you, um, you know, your assessment, but you do need to give an example that's relevant to your uh, viewpoint on assessment. Uh, you know, in other words, what you did, how you did it, and how effective it was. And uh, even if you uh, have only worked as a graduate and you've done teacher rounds, um, then that, that's legitimate to do. They, if you're applying for a graduate job, they don't expect that you've got five years experience because that's impossible. So you, you've got to make sure you tailor your, um, uh, your examples to the criteria. And the, and the opening paragraph, and this is where people make a lot of mistakes. I think a lot of the time people uh, try to explain what high impact teaching strategies are. That's not what you're being asked to do. What you're being asked to do is to demonstrate that you have knowledge of what they are, their importance, and how you go about implementing them. So that's what you're sort of responding to around. Uh, so you might talk about uh, the various learning needs of, uh, that you encounter in a class, that uh, there are specific structures and sp specific strategies that are going to work, that you are aware of them, that you, are, um, that you have implemented them, you've found that certain ones are more important uh, or specific or you know, applicable to uh, groups of kids. Try to tie in something from the school there if you can, and then go on to give an example. Now that will actually be about your A4 page because you can't write much more than that, but don't write, don't write 10 dot points of what each high impact teaching strategy is. That's not what they wanna know. They wanna know that you are aware of them, that you've been able to implement them uh, you've been able to do that in a team setting or similarly with uh, assessment, why assessment is important, how it informs your teaching, um, strategies that you've used and you give demonstrated examples and how effective they've been. So that's effectively what you're trying to write uh, in, a, um, in a response. And my thing is, I've, you know, people who've listened to me over the years would know, drive, you know, they're probably sick of hearing me. Try to get it down in your own head, at least. What is assessment? You know, what are high impact teachers? Try to get it down in one sentence in your own head. And then you can extrapolate and build in your uh, examples. The examples around high impact teaching strategies are, are excellent because um, I think you need to show uh, an awareness of the strategies. Um, no one, you don't have to name the 10 and no one wants examples of where you think you've utilized the 10, because if you're applying for a graduate job, you couldn't have done that successfully, I, I would reckon anyway, but you focus on two or three, no more with the evidence. It's about the quality of the evidence, not the quantity. So uh, your teaching rounds or practice, you may have done some work specifically with questioning or goal setting, because that was a focus of the school. And you can talk about um, where you did that, the class that was involved, um, and and what what you learned from that, how how that went. But two or three examples around that, I reckon, is plenty. But just going back to what you're talking about at the beginning, I think the key to it is that opening paragraph and getting that right. If you can get the opening paragraph right, then to me, the evidence and examples uh, will flow, and they'll make a lot more sense to the reader. And I think it's important as well that this is, it's important to get across that this is a process that you're not going to sit down and be able to just write your key selection criteria and get it right first time. 
I, I think, you know, you have to write the key selection criteria, put it in the drawer for a couple of weeks, come back to it. Then you really see the flaws or whether it makes sense. That opening paragraph might be the last thing that you write uh, because, yeah. you know, you won't know how everything ties in. And then that opening paragraph really should summarize everything uh, that you have. Now, we've got uh, just about 15 minutes left. Um, but I'll just address some of the questions. People have asked some really good questions, which I think will be relevant uh, to what we're talking about here. Uh, Matt just asked around whether you should refer to a website to show you're aware of where the information is in key selection criteria documents. Um, is that something that you would advise to do that you have to, um, you know, is it something that you, almost like a dissertation where you're kind of referring in the footnotes uh, where yeah, you got your information from? If it's really relevant, you think possibly, but yeah, that's what you've just, but, but it also does highlight there a potential problem. And that is if it's starting to look like an essay with footnotes and uh, quotes and where you got this, look, they're not, I'm not saying no, but be aware that it doesn't just become uh, a compendium of things that you've read or because that won't interest anyone at all. So you've really got to, I suppose, convince the person that you've got a big, broad concept of what each of those criteria is about and that you've been able to implement strategies that demonstrate you can take the big broad concept and so I'll give you around say the first one around development of curriculum. So I wouldn't necessarily be linking, sending a, including a link to the VCAA website, but I would be talking about how uh, curriculum is structured, how uh, the structure of the curriculum allows for differentiation, um, how planning with other um, teachers allows for catering for student needs and the how students learn, and that you've done that through the development of this unit that touched on these outcomes and had these built in, uh, these tasks, uh, open-ended tasks and assessment strategies. So you, you could refer them to a couple of things throughout, but don't keep, not in each criteria, I wouldn't. Terry. No, I'd be wary too, Billy. I agree. Because I think your knowledge in these areas around the criteria, it is expected. It's actually expected that you've got this knowledge, not something that you've sort of had to research um, to write the application, even though we've all got to begin somewhere. So um, that could come across as a, a little bit of a weakness. I just think um, um, it's, it's better if it actually comes across that you more that you uh, know and understand, even though you might be explaining it in fairly simple terms, which is fine by me. Now, we've got a um, evidence here of a specific uh, selection criteria, uh, which is in falls into uh, number six, which is the optional one, isn't it? Ooh. Which uh, a lot of schools do utilize. Um, this one, I'll just read it out and, and uh, ask the question around this, uh, which this will be relevant for lots of teachers, I feel, uh, when they're addressing key selection criteria and how do they um, navigate this issue. Uh, so this one says, demonstrated ability to teach VCE Japanese and apply this knowledge of teaching and learning to the distance setting and understanding the particular needs of students learning by distance, including the emphasis on technology-assisted learning. Now, it's clear, I think, what the school are asking for there. Um, but if you've never taught distance education, um, how can you address that criteria in a way that convinces the school that you understand the notions and, and the things that you need to be able to implement that? Well, I'll go first because I'm at a complete disadvantage here with a primary background. 
So this is what I would do. And I am a complete novice and this is not a Dorothy Dixer. And Ian, thanks very much for putting us on the spot. <laughs> very kind of you. Yeah. So what I would be doing is, uh, first of all, the advantage of, uh, first of all, I would be jumping on the school website and seeing if I can get a feel for what they consider to be distance education. If they're doing it, there's probably some indication somewhere that uh, they're teaching kids off-site, which sounds unusual, but that's what they're probably doing. So that, so there's possibly some links there to what they're doing, and that would give me a little bit of an idea on what they hope to achieve and the strategies they're applying. Then I would be, and COVID's been um, a nuisance, you might have noticed, but uh, there's probably some good things that have come out of it, and there's probably a stack more information now online and i know there is actually a course that runs out of one of the unis in sydney about successful teaching online so you'll be looking at synchronous and asynchronous uh, um, online work and for those that are familiar with those terms it's face-to-face -face live like what we're doing now and some recorded or uh, some other access to on uh, you know offline sort of work uh, when they're working from distance so i would um and then i also know that there's some distance education um uh, material on the Victorian education website so that would be my research so I, I, I'd start with the school and see if I can find out anything from there then I would go broader and try to get some understanding what they're trying to achieve through distance education and what are the strategies that have been proven to be successful in distance education and then try to put that into my other framework of well what do I do is this the right job for me how would I go about addressing it? So that's from a complete novice's primary school perspective. Yeah, look, it's a good advice. I, I think I would be really um, making a lot of my um, VCE Japanese skills because by and large, you still want the best Japanese teacher that you can possibly get. So I'd be highlighting that. Um, I do exactly what Billy suggested in relation to demonstrating an awareness of distance education, if that's not something that I've been aware of. Um, that I've been involved in, but you can, um, that phrase I'm aware of, or I'm comfortable with, um, I think is, is fine. And you can say, um, you can talk about um, the distance education website. Uh, the other thing is I'd be saying that I believed I had the um, transferable skills to, to be able to do this, even though you might not have specifically worked in that exact space before, but it, it still comes from the fact that um, if you believe you're a very good VCE teacher of Japanese, then as a principal, that's what would interest me because some of the um, you know, other challenges we can assist you with. But if you're not a very good teacher of Japanese, uh, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Can I just jump in again? And that, Terry's point you know, made me think a bit further on it. Absolutely right. So you would still be talking about you could. I would actually acknowledge that I've not done distance education with Japanese before because there's no use pretending that you have if you haven't, right? Uh, but you would still then talk about how the structure of the curriculum, so criteria one, still applies. Uh, differentiation still applies. Um, working with colleagues still applies and high impact teaching strategies. So in other words, setting goals and assessment still applies. And you would even say on that, that the fourth criteria communication would probably apply even more. So you can still draw on all the experience and knowledge you have just as a in-class face-to-face teacher, because those skills are still going to be required online. And then you would supplement those, what you already know about being a good Japanese VCE teacher with 
a little bit of research around working online. And as I said, start at the school and, and go out from there. But you, you certainly wouldn't, I would acknowledge that I don't do, uh, um, don't do online necessarily, but good teaching practice, and I think we've learned this from COVID, whether you are online or face-to-face -face is good teaching practice. It doesn't vary that much. So you can rely on what you currently know um, but acknowledge, don't, and that's a big point, I think, in all um, answering all criteria, don't pretend you can do something that you've never done because uh, you either, they'll either pick it up in the application or when you go to interview, um, <laughs> you'll trip up badly. Yeah, I think it's also important to note as well, the key selection criteria is a good opportunity to be able to explain at, at a decent length um, where your knowledge lies, where your research, you know, that you'd love the opportunity. And in your cover letter, you'd love the opportunity to be able to apply your skills in distance learning, even though you haven't been given the opportunity. We've had another question, which is not dissimilar about uh, a teacher who um, is experienced in, in uh, Chinese, um, but perhaps would want to go for a, a job which was Indonesian and would be confident in transferring their skills. Uh, how would they, you know, how would the principal kind of respond to, to that? I think one of the things is as well with the key selection criteria, we can get really focused in on answering the key selection criteria and kind of forget you can call a school, you can actually, or send an email and say, uh, this is my situation. Would I be a serious candidate for the role, you know, and, and the school will generally be happy to answer uh, questions around you know, uh, cause they want the right person. They'll tell you whether it's worth considering or not. Is that it, fair to say? Yeah, it is. But I could I just pick up on that point. Now I don't have the experience to make comments on Chinese or Indonesian language learning, but I, but that's okay. If, if you feel that you've got the capacity to do that, then again, it will get, a lot of it will get back to method. Okay. So, uh, and so I would say you can make the same case in a primary school that you might say uh, someone might have a great experience in teaching, say, in the senior school, but the role you find out is in the junior school. But teaching's teaching, you know, like, um, and I, I wouldn't see it as a disadvantage to say, oh, I've only ever taught grade six, I'll never be able to cope with those preps. If you're absolutely um, convinced uh, that you can, and you've got the capacity to convince the school uh, that you are a good teacher, I wouldn't hesitate for a moment. Um, you know, teaching grade six doesn't disqualify from you from teaching prep. That's so. And look, yeah, yeah, good, good advice. The same applies in secondary. Obviously, um, it's great to have the VCE experience, so that may be critical in in, in some situations. But a good teacher, Billy, is a good teacher, yeah. and I think if you if you can demonstrate that and you've got the strong subject knowledge, Ian's advice is good. I like it. Make a call to the school. Um, when in doubt and try and suss out what it is that they're really looking for. And um, you might be able to convince a panel that you've got those transferable skills and all you need is an opportunity to be able to demonstrate them. And that picks up on one of the points Terry often says, that if you get a chance to visit the school, if they have like tools or whatever, go. That's one of your best to find out what's going on at the school, what they really want. And you might be able to say to someone, look, my background is actually in Indonesian or in Chinese, but uh, I think I'm... You know, I've definitely got the skills. I've, I've, I've had some great results. I think I could actually do this. And they might just have a bit of a chat to you. And then when your application comes up, they think, oh, I talked to that guy. Yeah, let's give him an interview. 
just be aware that when you call a school, the interview has started. Uh, so uh, it doesn't matter who you speak to and who answers the phone, but the interview has started. So you correct, can make sure, make sure you, make sure you, you have it? a smile on your face when you yeah. talk. And um, it started in earnest when you do the tour because you might be on a tour with eight, with eight other people and whoever's conducting that tour, they're doing it on behalf of the principal. Then at the end of the tour, they'll come back to the principal and say, yeah, look, we had eight on that tour. And uh, these are the two that uh, we should be interested in. And these are the six that we uh, need not worry about. So, yeah. And as Billy and I have often said, you only get one chance to make a first impression. So if that happens to be on the tour, then uh, make it a good one. Because, it, um, yeah, the staff selection uh, and the shortlisting does start as soon as you make contact with the school. Yeah. We'll just finish off with uh, a couple of questions, which I think um, cover nicely just a couple of things that we can uh, emphasize just before the end of this webinar. Um, when writing e examples of your practice, uh, do you need to write the whole scenario for providing evidence? Uh, no, be succinct, yeah. be direct with your language and keep it simple. The temptation is very much uh, when I've certainly read key selection criteria and cover letters, etc., to use lots of wordy uh, language. Keep it simple. Keep it succinct. Yeah. Um, get to the point. Through, dare I quote the CFA website again? <laughs> it's living in the country. Um, yes. <laughs> just, they just use the approaches where and when you did something, what and how you did it, what was the outcome? Now that should be two sentences. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about you know, an assessment, writing a unit of work, developing a, uh, working on your emerging um, high impact teaching strategy or whatever it is, it's just, I was a, it was a grade two class, that might be enough. Last year, term four or what, term one, grade two class, we were asked to develop this, I did this, this was the outcome. That's all it has to be. That's two sentences and dot point. It doesn't yeah. have to talk about who you actually, I'll give you an example, funny one. I was once read in a, uh, in a um, person's application that they, their job was to put sauce on the pies at the ATHS meet. Probably too much information. <laughs> A bit of it's oversharing, very, oversharing yeah. Yeah. very important job though uh billy nonetheless <laughs> probably not what i needed to know but give me credit um i've remembered it for about 30 years <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, uh, a couple of other questions. Uh, Amanda just asked about what the main points in a CV are just very, but you can listen to the, uh, the podcast uh, to have a in-depth, but basically all a CV is, is where you've been teaching, what you've been up to. Uh, it's, it's just a chronology. You're not doing a huge amount of persuasion in, in your CV. It should just be a record of where you've been teaching. That's the, the dashboard that teachers, uh, senior leadership want to look at and just know, oh, you've taught there, taught there, or you've done your teaching practice here, here, here. Could right. I just give you, a, I hope I'm not doing the wrong thing here. Oh, it doesn't matter. I don't work for them anyway. But Terry, you, I'm sure you'll back this up. If your application at the key selection criteria and cover letter aren't great, I don't even look at the CV. No, I never go there, Billy. I think that's, um, yeah. Look, as Ian said, it's just there as a record, as a document you can flick through if you want to, but it's not going to make a difference in terms of uh, being shortlisted. No one has ever come back to the, the selection panel and said, that was a terrible application, but I like their CV. <laughs> it never happened. Yeah, and I think even from uh, Tradewind's point of view, the CV is, is largely... Uh, 
to get to know a little bit about you, but we really do that in a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's for compliance issues so that we know your history, we know where you've been teaching, etc. So uh, it is a more of a matter of fact compliance document than, um, than something that's really going to propel your career forward. And a good question to end on here, Matt has just asked, uh, where can we access good template examples of key selection criteria. Uh, I would uh, say my point of view on it, maybe it's the same as you, Billy, because I just saw your facial expression there, uh, which is templates, uh, standardized templates aren't very good in this respect um, because they go out of date. They're very static. The temptation is to copy and paste or (laughs) do, do things like that. What do you think, Billy? Oh, absolutely. Go and have a look at that Sway document that uh, Ian's put together. Um, look, the problem with them is, and Terry would know this, they often do them at universities. And then when graduates apply, you read five or 10 that are almost exactly the same. Look, I'll be honest with you, after a few, you only get a few lines in, you think oh, this is the same as the other guys and you don't even read them. So, you know, if you use a template, you're best off not, if you, if you really get stuck, come and see Terry and I and we'll put together a, a structure for you. But working off templates, unless you're really prepared to change them a lot, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fraught. Unless you're really good at it, um, you know, taking that up. And I think if you're good at changing a template, you may as well start from scratch and work it up. Yeah, yourself. look, I, I agree, Billy. I think stick to the Sway document. Try and find your own voice. That's an yeah. um, expression you use on a number of occasions. And I, I think it's spot on. And get feedback on the work that, that you're doing. Um, and this, um, this is a journey. And that application that you're writing is going to go with you probably for as long as you're in education and it will continue to evolve and change as you do. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, We've come to the end of the webinar. We solved key selection criteria in 45 minutes, which is uh, no mean feat. So thank you so much uh, for that. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Thanks, Terry. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours. If you need any help or support as a relief teacher, please get in touch with us at Tradewind through our website or call us on 1800 192 195. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Australia's leading relief teaching podcast.